0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We are in the Advent season, and uh, in this Advent season, we as a church family, we uh, remind ourselves or cue ourselves um, with these candles uh, just as points of reference, visual points of reference for the themes that we're talking about. And so last week, um, we lit the candle of hope, Uh, To remind ourselves that the God who was, is the God who is, and is the God who will be. And this week, um, we light the candle of peace. And when the scripture talks about peace, it's talking about a kind of wholeness that he is inviting us to. And so, um, we're going to jump into that. I I would say that pastorally speaking, um, I I think one of the main... uh, thieves, if you will, of, of peace in our time, in our particular cultural setting, uh, is comparison. And when we do the comparison thing, we fall into that trap or we uh, step into that um, uh, kind of dysfunctional relationship. And what we find is we're not at peace any longer because I'm worried about what you have or what you don't have or what you have that I don't have. I'm comparing. And um, in that comparison, it it steals the kind of peace because I'm always longing for something or or, or, uh, wanting something more and envy and jealousy and all these kind of things uh, kind of come out of that. I I don't have this. I don't uh, uh, possess this. I'm not where these people are comparison. The other thing though that I think is really um, particularly dangerous when it comes to comparison is that we are asking comparison um, to carry a weight that it cannot carry, and so we've got kids in the room. I just want to uh, do a little kid participation activity here. Are you with me, kiddos? You ready? Uh, this is no parents allowed. Just you and me. Here we go. No parents allowed. Uh, kids, what do you think is the biggest animal that you could carry, like physically pick up and carry? A house? That would be a one heck of a carry. Yes, ma'am. A mouse. Just the fact that you would want to pick up a mouse, I think it says something about you, brave, brave little one right there. What was yours, babe? I didn't hear. Oh, you were going to say an elephant, but you cannot carry an elephant. Noted. I cannot carry an elephant either, just so you know. Yeah. Somebody, Abigail? A dog? Who's that, Annalie? A kitty cat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bryce. You think you could carry a horse? A, a baby horse. Hey, maybe here in just a minute, we'll vote on that as to whether or not we believe you. Okay. I mean, you're a big boy. Strapping young man is what you are. Really? tiger impressive okay one more in the back back there who's that is that travis what a tortoise okay i like it here here's what we're asking okay if if we seek our peace via or through comparison What we're asking comparison to do. Comparison is actually good at moments because what it will allow us to do is gauge ourselves versus how things ought to be. But if we seek our peace through comparison, we are asking ourselves to carry an elephant. Nobody's going to do that. We are putting weight that will ultimately crush us as a result of it. We cannot do it. And so peace... Uh, When it comes to this, I want to try to source this correctly. And we're going to do so from Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, um, you can open to that. If you need a Bible that you can put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. And if you're a user of the Bible app, please feel free to open the app and find our live event. Uh, To those of you watching online, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You ready? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, if you're taking notes here or just noticing things here, uh, please note how many times the king shows up, okay? Uh, In the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east uh, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, probably like the, the kind of ruling class is what it's after there. And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh, Christ is the uh, Greek word for Messiah. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, he's quoting Micah here, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you by no means among the uh, No means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men, uh, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained what time the star had appeared. And he sent uh, them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, there it is again, they went on their way and behold the star They had seen when it rose, uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, uh, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. I want to look at three sources of peace. They all fall right out of the text here. Um, here's the first, one. Uh, first source of peace. There is a king, and it's not Herod. There is a king, and it's not Herod. Uh, wh- why is that important to say? Uh, because in case you haven't noticed, the world's a little crazy out there. Is that fair? There are some, there are some crazy folks who think that they run things. Um, and I'm saying this at the end of 2023, knowing that Next year, somebody help me, is 2020, which also happens to be a pretty important national election year, and it's going to get crazier here. Let's just, as the people of God, let's remind ourselves there is a king, and it's not Herod. It's not. What, what, why is that important? Well, in Herod's particular case, a couple of things here. Um, The the last two came out as I words. And so I stuck another I word in just because I'm a pastor and this is what we do. Um, But Herod, Herod, the iffy king, iffy. What do you mean by that? He's a little squirrely, y'all. Pretty squirrely. Um, Herod's dad was Antipater, kind of cozied up with Julius Caesar. And uh, uh, Herod inherited the kingdom from his dad, except he wasn't uniquely a particularly great king. They called or excuse me, he had people call him Herod the Great, but really it was like Herod the, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, He lived so uh, just crazy uh, uh, in amount in the way that he got to this. He lived off of his dad's name, ultimately lost the kingdom, um, and uh, uh, had to go to Rome. Uh, Before that happened, though, um, after Julius Caesar died... uh, Some guys got together and were trying to figure out who was going to actually run this thing. Herod bet on Mark Antony, like Mark Antony and Cleopatra, like that kind of thing. Um, He bet on Antony, uh, but Octavian won. And so he literally went to Octavian and was like, hey man, I bet on the wrong horse. Sorry about that. And here is his argument. I mean, because like if you go to the conquering king and you're like, hey man, uh, sorry, I, I, I voted for the wrong guy. Sorry about that. Normally that would end very, very poorly for you. But here was his argument hey, do you really want to rule Judea? I mean, really? I'm already here. Like, I'll do it. You, you, I mean, it's kind of a backwoods, backwater place. Like, you don't really want to mess with this. I, I'll, I'll stick around if you want me to. That was his argument. Benon on Anthony, had to apologize, ultimately uh, uh, took the, the kingdom there from Octavia um, and, and then and lost it, fled to Rome where he had to go to the Senate, convince them that he was actually going to be the king. They named him king and sent him back with an army. He didn't raise his own army. He didn't claim... I mean, he didn't like set himself up to be... The Senate had to do all this for... Like, this guy is squirrely, super squirrely. Herod was half Edomite and half Arab, meaning what? Number one, he wasn't Jewish at all. And secondly he wasn't from the line of judah if he's not jewish he can't be from the line of judah the the really important king and again this is kids participation here really important king in the old testament king what was his name king in the old testament david king david some of you answered and you were adults shame shame He's not of the line of David. And the promise came to David that there would always be a king uh, to sit on the throne. So he's not from the line of David. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, that seems important, but how important is it? Well, Herod also did not have a prophet show up to say, hey, Herod, for this moment right now, you are going to be king. You are going to rule the people. There was no prophet who came in and anointed him. No, there was no message from God that, that, that uh, uh, put him in place. No prophet. And lastly, it wasn't as if he was a particularly good king. As he said, he called himself Herod the Great. Really, he was like Herod the Sort of. Um, what do you mean by that? Because he was not uh, particularly committed To righteousness and justice. I mean, maybe, again, maybe, okay, I'm not from the land of Judah. I get that. Uh, No prophet has said, but this is my moment, and so I'm just going to commit myself to doing the right thing and making sure that there's justice in the world. And he did not. He did not. So, like I said, kind of iffy King. He was only um, concerned with self preservation and uh, the kind of aggrandizement that comes with that kind of ego. A politician concerned with self-preservation and, and aggrandizing. I, you know, back then it was pretty common. Back then. Secondly, he was inconsistent. A couple of things just in history about Herod. He did some good things. And let's just note, politicians can do some good things. Here's some things that he did. He built cities. For that, um, uh, there there was a a particular port uh, that he developed, Caesarea, um, on the Mediterranean Sea that allowed a lot of trade to expand. He built aqueducts, uh, which uh, back before they tore up streets and took way too long to fix it and then poured concrete back over it, I'm not bitter about Bay Area taking forever. It's all right, all right, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. But back then, they transported water via things above the ground. And so he built aqueducts. He built fortresses to, make sure, uh, to help people stay safe. And his biggest kind of accomplishment was building um, what it was known at the time as Herod's Temple or the Temple of Herod. Which is up on the Temple Mount. We have the Western Wall still preserved as a result of that. But they call it the Temple of Herod or Herod's Temple. Temple, but you're naming it after your, I don't know. Okay, he's inconsistent. That was the good part. Here were some of the bad part. Uh, Kids, you may want to cover your ears. He was a murderer. Offed his first wife and his two sons as a result of that. He was mentally unstable, uh, bought into any number of conspiracy theories and was constantly rearranging, kind of shuffling the deck uh, to prevent anything to happen. And he was thoroughly insecure. So much so that thankfully this didn't happen but built into what would function as his will like in our day, here's what he wanted. When he died, he wanted the army to go out and kill a bunch of nobles um, in the area so that there would actually be grief um, expressed when Herod died. he's a little inconsistent. He's a lot inconsistent. Doing good, doing bad. And lastly, he's ignorant. What do you mean by that? Uh, Verse three, here we go. When the, when the Magi, the wise men showed up, where is this king who's been born king of the Jews? Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, kids, again, one more time, kid participation, all you adults, shh. In our particular story of the country of the United States of America, there's a really, really important date that we as a country celebrate regularly. What's that date? July the 4th. That's exactly right. July the 4th. People in America know that July the 4th is an important date. Why? Because it was then that the um, Declaration of Independence was ratified. We declared our independence, um, that we would be uh, not colonies colonies anymore, but states. Yes. If you're going to be American, July 4th is kind of the thing that you know. If you're going to be the Jewish king, don't you think you ought to know where the Messiah is going to be born? Like this is basic level stuff. This is second grade history kind of stuff. This is the stuff that built into the culture. It is celebrated regularly and taught on the regular. It is, it is communicated regularly. And so Herod's ignorant. He didn't know the birthplace of the Messiah, even though that was basic knowledge. And if he doesn't know the basics, y'all, if he doesn't know the basics, do you think maybe his motives for understanding where the king was born, do you think maybe those are in question? Absolutely, they're in question. This, this is not a king you want to follow. There is a king. It's not Herod. It's not a king you want to follow. This is a, a, a good, uh, just kind of shot across the bow for us from Psalm 146. It's uh, the verses right before um, the Psalm that we opened with. Listen to this. Psalm 146, verse 3. Think about Herod. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. He dies, y'all. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed and who gives food to the hungry. Put not your trust in princes, people who would pretend to be rulers. There is a king. It's not Herod. That that is a source of peace. Secondly, second source of peace in the story is that guidance, the guidance that we all want, it comes as the following happens. Comes, guidance comes uh, with following. So we're picking up here, verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men, secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. Uh, when you found him, bring me word. I will come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Where the child was, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then they went in and they saw the child and his mother. Guidance comes with following. Um, These guys were uh, observers of the heavens. They were from the East, like think Babylon, like on the other side, you know, like far, far, far away, and they saw something happen, and what they knew about this something is this something was critical, it was important it was it was a a, a moment that, that would shape the world, they knew this, and so they maybe because of uh, the Jewish people being in Babylon, maybe they knew about some of the prophecies that had been uh, 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 said as a result of that, Numbers 24, for instance, uh, Balaam talks about how a star is going to rise and a ruler will come out of Jacob. Maybe they're thinking about that. Maybe they've got that frame of reference, or maybe they're just like, holy smokes, what is that? I don't know. But they figured out that they needed to go this way. And here, here's what it comes, guidance comes with following. Like it set them on trajectory, but they still weren't sure what was happening. They went to Jerusalem first, because if you're looking for a king, where are you going to find him? In the capital. But they didn't. They found the guy who was claiming to be king. But where is he who was born king of the Jews? And after they figure this out, what does it say? The star that they had been following rose and moved. Rose and moved. There's, some people think that the, the star wasn't necessarily a, a, a heavenly body as much as like an angel. kind of glowing and trying to help them. You know, either way, either way, the star rose and moved. And the the reason why they could um, uh, find, ultimately, the the one that they're looking for is because God was guiding them as they were following. It's the as they were following that's the big part. Because some of the challenge, I think, in, in our lives is God, please give us a map so that we can get from where we are to where you want us to be. And God says, nope, no map. You have a guide, you don't need a map. We may want a map, but God has given us a guide instead. The only way to get to where you're going is by following. Now, this happened, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Uh, one of my kids was headed to a dentist appointment. I was in the car rider line, okay? Everybody, glory, glory for the car rider line. The, the place where you just sit and, until some bell rings and they move things along. I was in the car rider lane. Got to get to the dentist appointment. Go to the dentist appointment. Drive to the dentist appointment. What's the address? Here's the address. No problem. And this is what I said: Don't take the freeway. The entrance is closed. You'll get stuck at the light. Don't take the freeway. Come up by the church building and go that way. It'll be easier. They punched it in the maps and gets which way the map decided to take them. Up the freeway. I was in the car rider line. I beat my kid to the dentist because they were late, because they took the freeway. What I wanted to say to that kid at that moment was this. You had a map, but I was trying to be your guide. You should listen to me because the Google lady does not always know best. Amen. (laughs) They had a guide. Even if they wanted a map, hey, listen, even if you want a map, it's so much better to go with a guide. And the only way you do that is by following. And as they followed, it led them to the one that they actually sought. As they continued to walk, as they continued to go, as they continued... That following led them to the one that they saw. These were Magi, um, wise men from the East. These were magicians. These were not Jewish insiders who were clear on all the theology that was behind all of this, all of the prophecies that were involved in this. They didn't know a ton, even if they knew a little bit, they didn't know at all. And so um, what we have here is candidates who are not really good candidates at all for f- actually finding Jesus. Jesus. What we have here are people who are um, unschooled and, and disconnected and outside of their tradition. And listen, as they followed, God brought them to the one that they sought. That's twofold personally for us. Listen, personally for us. Some of us at times think that we know what we really, really want. But the reality is, is that if, if we follow, God will lead us to what we actually want and need. You got to personalize that. And more than that, God is sometimes at work. Listen, he is sometimes at work in people that we would never expect him to be at work in. Magi from the East, magicians, non-Jewish, smelled like camels. I mean, like whatever. God's at work in them. Yes, He's at work in them. Sometimes the best play we can make is just to get the heck out of the way. Just recognize that God can be and often is um, at work. He's drawing them, leading them to Himself. Last source of peace. Uh, we, we've got one um, where uh, there is a King, and it's not Herod. Secondly, that as we follow, um, as we follow Him, He will guide us. And lastly, there is one who is actually really worth it. There was one who's really worth it. So much of our culture is built around what's new, faster, shinier, prettier, smaller, bigger, better, whatever-er, er, er. And in this, And in this story, just to settle our hearts on this, there's one who's really worth it. Just watch how this unfolds. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. These are the Magi. They rejoiced, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country from another way. Uh, he, he, is, he is worth following. He's worth following. They left their homeland. All they knew was that man. There is something so tremendous and something so profound happening, and we have to go see what this is. And what they knew that he was, what they knew was that he was worth following. So, they entered the house and they found a baby. <laughs> like surprise! Here's the king. Here he is change his diaper. Like, I mean, this is where we are. But listen, God has always used surprising things like this to reveal himself to people who really want to know him. Moses is just hanging out, doing his own thing, raising sheep out in the wilderness and a bush catches on fire. And what do they know about the bush? It didn't burn down. God speaks from the bush. People of Israel tucked up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army. What's going to happen? God shows up in a wind that splits the sea and a fiery column that protects him from the enemy. Joshua is getting ready to invade the promised land. Guy shows up with a big sword and he's like, uh, are you with us or are you with them? Because if you're with them, I think we're in trouble. And he says, I'm not with you, I'm not with them. I'm on the Lord's side. Well, count me in on that. I, I, Isaiah, grief, full grief. National tragedy, the king has died, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the actual king, the Lord. He was high lifted up and the robe filled the temple. Ezekiel, man, Ezekiel, he's been exiled. He's been displaced. He's dislodged. He's in a foreign land. He's sitting on the, uh, the riverbank just going, I, God, I don't know where you are in the midst of any of this. He has a vision. And what's the vision? Of a throne with wheels that's coming toward him. And God's saying, you think I'm bound by geography? You serious? What kind of puny God do you think I am? Daniel, Daniel's buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they get launched into the fiery furnace. And what do they find? At the bottom, God's right there waiting on them. Hey, I thought we only went three guys in. How is there a fourth? He's like a son of the gods. It's because he is the son of God. Surprising ways, surprising ways that he shows up. But man, he is worth following. He's the king, he's in control, and he knows what he's doing. Uh, Secondly, look again uh, in in verse 11. He's worth our resources. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, I, I, I hope you came today and you're like, oh no, this is the part where he talks about money and you tense your shoulders up real tight. Come on, come on, now relax. We've already taken up the offering. We're not going to pass the plate again or anything like that. He's worth our resource. I just want to highlight that particular phrase, "and opening their treasures. Opening their treasures. God, I'm willing to give you whatever you ask. My hands are open. My heart is open. My time is yours. The resources that you have entrusted to me, they are yours. The, the things that you have allowed me to experience that can be helpful to others, those are yours. The talent that you have given me, that's yours. The gifts that you have provided me, it's all yours. God, I'm just opening the treasures. Whatever it is that I have, it's yours. Opening the treasures. They give them gold and frankincense and myrrh. Honor, gold is honor, wealth frankincense is this kind of perfume, that pleasure. And myrrh is a kind of incense of sacrifice. And the crazy thing is, the the, the next little part of the story is um, they they flee to Egypt. How do you think they got there? How, How did they pay the Uber? With gold and frankincense and myrrh that God had already provided for them. He is worth our resources. Lastly, he's worth our worship. Look at what happened when they went in. They fell down and they worshiped him. They fell down and they worshiped him. What does falling down mean? It's a symbol of humility. I I note that because there are people who, and no doubt some even in this room, who say, oh yeah, I want to be closer to God I want to be more connected to God. I want to know God. I want to um, be more intimate with God, however you would express that. And here's what I want to say. Intimacy is preceded by humility. Prideful people don't go in and know more of God. Prideful people don't walk in and get things revealed. Prideful people are the people that God opposes. Instead, humility, they fell down. And then they worshiped. They declared what was true. You are the genuine king. You are the real deal. You are worth following. You're really worth it. This is the same picture in Revelation chapter four. You got the elders, um, they're around the one who was around the throne and uh, you got all this crazy stuff happening. John just kind of runs out of words as he's trying to explain it. And he says, "Uh, all I know is that there were elders and they took their crowns off and they cast them at his feet and they fell down and they worshiped. Same kinds of actions. A humility and a declaration of who God is. A A baby, I mean right here, a baby who's worth all this? Yes, a baby who's worth all of this. Why? Well, he's worth following because he pursued us. He is worth our resources because he gave up his life for us. He's worthy of our worship because in his death, in his resurrection, he not only exalted the glory of God, but he looked at you and me and said, hey, listen, I think you're worth it. I desire for you to be with me forever. And that's what we come to celebrate in communion, to remind ourselves that this is what God has done. He's really worth it. He really is. So if you need to fold your stuff up and kind of ready yourself, set it to the sides, ready yourself for communion, uh, you feel free to do so. I'm gonna ask our deacons to come forward who will be serving this morning. on the night uh, before he went to the cross, Jesus had his followers in a room and this is what he said. This, this bread that he took and he broke, he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. The disciples at the time, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And listen, there are people in the room right now, they don't, you don't understand it all either. Looking back though, what they figured out was Jesus took on the brokenness, not only of our, our lives, but the brokenness of the world so that you and I could be made whole. And then he took a cup and he passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. No longer do you have to go somewhere. No longer do you have to offer something. No longer do you have to sacrifice something in order to be made right with me. I'm making the sacrifice for you. And the book of Hebrews later, reflecting on this, said, listen, you, you won't find a better deal because Jesus offered this one time for all time and he sat down at the right hand of God. It's over. It's finished. It's done. So the body of Jesus broken so that you and I could be made whole, the blood of Jesus offered so that you and I could be forgiven. Let's pray together, and then we'll take communion. Um, Father, thank you so much for the, the realities of what we're about to experience. It is a physical practice to remind ourselves of the spiritual um, um, truth that is ours because of what you've done for us. Would you please make this very fresh as we celebrate communion? May the grace that is ours be as real as the taste on our tongue. Do that now for Jesus' sake in our midst. And be honored by our response to that. And the his name that we pray. Amen and amen.